three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to 321 Overtime. I am one of your co-hosts, John Torres, along with my buddy, Brian McCallum. And we are here at Shea Torres this week as we have some news, finally, Brian, on our new office space. It's going to be ready November 25th which I sort of have an issue with because that's the week of Thanksgiving. So that's a short week anyway. Why don't we just move in the Monday after that? But, you know. So your theory is that this large company and construction company are giving you rock-solid information, that well, we are definitely going to be sitting in desks on November 25th. Yeah, no. I mean, I look, I doubt that. I'm just going by the word that we have received from our superiors. But listen, Brian, we talk a lot about NFL and, um, you know, and baseball and preps, you know, football and stuff. But I want to ask you something about a topic that neither of us know anything about because we've never been the subject of it. <laughs> booing. Here's why I want to ask you about booing. I've, I'm a booer, okay? When I'm at a public sporting event, I'm a booer, but, and I have relished booing the great opponents that my teams that I root for have faced. For example, I remember booing Gary Carter when he played for the Montreal Expos, you know, back in the 80s. But as soon as he became a Met, I friggin' loved the guy. I mean, he was just a great player. It's, it's, almost like, it's almost like the booing is a sign of respect. There's a great quote. You ever read uh, Reader's Digest? They used to have these just quotes in there, sure, famous yeah. quotes. It's from Reggie Jackson. They don't boo nobodies. Right. Do you remember that quote? I do. And you don't hate teams that are bad, right? Like you only hate the teams that are good and, and you you know root against them. And it's all in fun. I mean, it isn't a personal thing, hopefully, for many. Uh, well, I would say this. I, you know, I was a, when I was a college student and I had a chance because I had a job that prevented it, I would love to go to basketball games on the road. And I loved booing or cheering for my team, cheering against the home team we were visiting. So not only do I relish booing, but as a hot dog fan, I've booed relish. <laughs> Boom booms, and there it is. He was up all weekend trying to think of that one, folks. No, actually, that was pretty quick, Brian. I, I sort of like. Well, that. I had it a minute ago, but you wouldn't shut up. Oh yeah, I know. Well, I, I you know I'm fired up today because like something happened over the weekend that I am I am going to bring up with regards to booing. But let me ask you this: Is it okay to boo a home team player? Sure. You know when? Of course and it why? is. Well. <laughs> I'm not saying what I've done because I've not been a uh, frequent visitor to pro sports events. But let's say somebody signs a huge contract and even maybe held out for it and then just sucks. Yeah. You know, yeah. that might be a reason that some fans would boo him or her. Well, we both know that sports is very emotional. And, you know, to, uh, you know, all the fans want the team to win. The All the players hopefully want to win and and play well. So... And I know it can happen anywhere, but here's what happened this weekend in the English Premier League with my beloved Arsenal Gunners, okay? Now, Arsenal have not been playing great. Not horrible, okay? But the fans expect a lot from that club because they've been typically a top-tier team. They had a 20-year run recently snapped where they were, you know, like top four, which enables them to play in what's called the Champions League, etc. But I know you don't care anything about that, but one of the team captains, Granite Xhaka, well, I just I just love that name. Shaka. He's this gritty, tough player who's also one of the captains of the team, but he's a little slow and he's not 
I mean, of, of like foot, you know, not, yeah. you know, mentally. Right. Uh, and he's not a great soccer player, but he's like this gritty, tough guy that is always in on the tackles and he gets the yellow cards and he's the kind of guy that you like on your team. Well, he's almost become the scapegoat, right, for the team not playing well this year. On Sunday, the fans went wild when his number flashed on the screen, meaning he was being substituted for. He was coming right. up to, it was pulling it out of the game. Right. It was ironic cheering. It's like when you cheering. get a first down for the first time in the third quarter. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So he's coming off. Now the the score is tied at two, and normally you would run off because you want to get your team the go you know, a extra time for the goal, right? So he walks off slowly mm-hmm. and then he begins to hear the boos. Yeah. And they're booing like crazy. And he raises his arms up to the crowd as if, come on, louder, louder. And then he mouths F you or F off to the fans a few times before ripping off his shirt and leaving the stadium. Like he went into his locker room change and he was gone before the match even ended. Were they booing him leaving slowly, though? Well, I think that was part of it. But I think just also booing the fact that he's not great and the team is not playing great. So, Well, John, you pay your money. You make your booze, you know? It's yeah. it's a pro sport. You're you're a, you're entertaining. It's a business. It's a job. Fans, yeah, I, yeah, you're, I, you're trying to get fans to come to the game and pay you dollars and and more and more these days it's big dollars and that's why players make big dollars. So if you're going to make big dollars, the demands are going to be great. Yeah, I mean, he's a pro. I mean, it is never appropriate to curse at your home fans or to, you know, act sarcastically with them, especially if you're not playing well. If he had scored three goals, you know, and, and 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 was coming off and he was being booed, then I could see him being upset. But, I mean, he has to toughen that up, right? He just has to, you know. I would predict he wouldn't be booed if he had scored three goals. Uh, yes, you're absolutely right. But yeah. So the, now the, the team is in chaos. So is it ever okay for players to react like that? Well, I mean, it's not illegal, but I don't know what he gets out of that unless he wants to be traded maybe. Is there any reason to think he might want to be traded? No, no. Although at this point, I maybe, don't know what he. But no, you know, but. and and of course, there's always chance for redemption. That's another thing. You know, sports is emotion. It's also redemption. Often, you know. So, again, like, how forgiving should we? Because it probably was just emotion. I mean, he was he look. He was clearly hurt when he when he began hearing the cheers that he was coming off. You could see his like shoulders kind of slump. You know, and I'm willing to forgive him right now because the guys has to play European soccer. <laughs> so you know, really. Shaka. Really, uh, yeah, the, if, if you're a fan of that team, you're going to be mad at him for a while, I would think, until he plays on the field in such a way as to earn your respect again. Right. That's what I would say. Gotcha. Should he Which apologize? has to be better than just good enough. Should uh, he absolutely. To, to, sure. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? He's getting, he's, you know, flipping off or cursing the people that just paid his salary. Right, right. Well, we are going to see what happens there. Now, Brian, we record these on Monday, as our listeners know. The World Series could be over by the time this airs. And what a turn of events. The the Washington Nationals won the first two you know, games in Houston. And then Houston heads up to D.C. and wins the next three. And so now it's you know, like 3-2 heading back to Houston. Pitching can always do that, can it? I mean, you, yes. if you're not hitting, that can stretch on and on and on. But pitching... That's not a bad reason to, to use pitching as your thing rather than hitting. Uh, exactly. And, you know, Sunday night they had ace pitcher Garrett Cole held the Nationals to one run, 7-1 to one win. But, you know, what's funny with that game, Brian, uh, and I, I have been reading a few articles this morning, people are calling for the use of robot umpires 
behind home plate because I guess the home plate umpire, Lance something or other, uh, who is known as a really good umpire, blew two clear calls. One was a strike that he called a ball, and one was a pitch way out of the strike zone that he called a strike three on one of the Nationals players. And so is it time to put robots? I mean, we already have instant replay. John, uh, how long have, have umpires been getting calls wrong i mean since they already don't use the actual strike zone right my goodness i think we've already seen this with the nfl's replay rule which had great intentions but had just been totally misused i mean let's put a 60 second clock up there and if you can't say for sure in 60 seconds it was wrong let's keep going that was the point of the rule in the first place right so uh no unless they have a perfect system and I'm, i'm sure they don't don't you figure at some point that we'll have some kind of electronics for all officiating in every sport? I guess so, but I I hate mean, it, it could be 50 years from now. I mean, you know, I sort of like it in tennis, though, because it's kind of quick, right? It's that automatic where they have that line around the court, and, you know, it's clear if the ball hits the line or not. And, I mean, I sort of like that, but why does it take so long in baseball and football? And now even soccer has what is called VAR. It's video assistant referee on certain calls, and it seems to take forever. A lot of it is that we're all human, and when you start criticizing somebody's work, which is what second-guessing officials is, they kind of get defensive about it, and so you've got the people overruling the officials who are officials themselves, so it's going to have to be you know, way outside the line for them to do it. So why not just make it so it's quick rather than looking at every blade of grass, is my opinion. Yeah. Now, By the way, John, and yeah. hat tip to Hillard Grossman, the, the Astros' bullpen coach is from Melbourne. Went to Mel High, Josh Miller. Did wow. you know that? I, did I didn't know, know it until a few days ago. Um, Hillard's working on it. Well, and you and I also work with somebody at Florida today whose brother-in-law or whose cousin works with the Astros in the clubhouse. And she was telling me all types of stories. I will tell you who it is after this airs because I'm not sure if she wants that to be public knowledge or not. But it's just kind of cool. Well, we're already pulling for the Astros because the Nationals left us. Oh, absolutely. So I'm thrilled with the turnaround. Me too. You know, it's not over yet. We'll see. Well, hopefully it'll be over by or the time it might be over. Airs. Yeah. might be over. Knock, knock. And speaking of over, we're going to take a very short break, and we're going to come back to talk some NFL and preps football. Let's do that. Hey, if you like what we do here at Florida Today, please consider buying a digital subscription. The cost is less than one premium cup of coffee per month. Just go to floridatoday.com backslash subscribe. Okay, Brian, we're back. And this, you know... Look, I know that your hatred of the New England Patriots is not a secret. Right. It has been going on and on, but they are the only team in the AFC that seems like they uh, are going to go somewhere this season. While the NFC has three teams with seven wins, the Niners are 7-0, and the Saints and Packers are 7-1, and Aaron Rodgers is beginning to look like the old Aaron Rodgers again, but the Patriots, 8-0, and they are seemingly unstoppable. Is there anybody in the AFC that can slow them down? I don't know. Uh, you know, I had that thought actually last night. I texted in our group text that we mentioned here before that the opponent's record winning percentage for the Patriots' opponents was about 260. And, and it's actually worse than that because I left one out, John, and I, I don't want to sit and do the math right now, but it's not good. Right. And I had the thought because it was right when the Packers game was starting, and I was thinking, you know, the Packers and the 49ers and the Saints – and even some of the second-place teams in that conference are pretty good. And I was thinking, man, what if with the Patriots, how would they do in the NFC this year and many years? 
and I just I really decided not very good because immediately they turn around and they play a really tough next four or five weeks. So I'm curious to see how they come out of that. Yeah, I think they have the Eagles and the Cowboys coming up at they some point. They have the, right? the Ravens, they have the Cowboys, they have the Eagles. Um, it's a rough stretch as far as it's the stretch they should have already played. Yeah, it's, you know, it, look, it was a weak front of schedule that is no doubt about it as far as the opponent's schedule. Although, when you look at it, they're 8 0, right? I don't think that anyone expected the Steelers, Redskins, and Browns to have a combined 5-16 and 16 record. I mean, everyone thought that the Browns were a Super Bowl contender. The Steelers are, are often a Super Bowl, you know, in the conversation. Right. The Redskins were supposed to be a 500 team this year, but they're 1-6 in, in or 1-7. Uh, so you can't blame the Patriots for that. You can only, you know, you, no. you can only play who's in front of you, but, you know. The um, Browns and... Redskins didn't have great years last year. True. And the Super Bowl champion is supposed to have a schedule that brings them back to earth. I mean, this is all supposed to be predetermined. And I, I just can't get, you know, I didn't watch a lot of it. I didn't watch very much football at all. In fact, the only football I watched was a few minutes of this game. Those three turnovers on three straight plays. I know that, I, I mean, I'm willing to give them the possibility that they do amazing scouting and film study. But, John, on the third one, the defensive lineman gets there before the the ball, yeah, no, you know, I mean, the look, intended. Cleveland has just imploded this year. I think it's the coaching. You know, I think that the head coach is also calling the plays, and and it's just not. It hasn't been good uh, all all the way around. So, but yeah, that's uh, not what I'm implying. Although I'm fine with that. I'm just whether it's signals or what. I don't know. There's something going on that's really coincidental. Oh, I see what you mean. I that, gotcha. that seems okay. to repeat itself. You know, over and over. And, well, and maybe it is just amazing film study. Well, I'm going to tell you a quick film study story. The late, great George Allen, and it was always attributed to him, although it was never proven. Someone sent the Giants head coach a video in the offseason. The Redskins were playing the Giants week one. And in the offseason, the video was the Redskins center, how he held the ball. Every running play, he would have one hand on the ball when he snapped it. Every pass play was two. So the hmm. first play of the game, he has one hand on the ball. Right. And the Redskins throw a bomb for a touchdown. <laughs> and so hey, a lot of people feel that it was George Allen that had sent that tape oh, yeah. to the Giants. But, I gotcha. you know, yeah. I mean, that's neither here nor there. Well, you know, there. there's the white knuckle stuff if you're leaning forward as a lineman as opposed to if you're leaning back ready to – I mean, at this point, it's, it's hard not to know when the team's about to run or pass. I mean, typically linemen don't even try to hide it, you know. Right. That's true. That's but, true. yes, as years ago – when you were like in your college ages and the Redskins were playing for George Allen, that would have been much different. Well, look, uh, the Patriots also, Brian, they, I mean, and we've said this for years and years, but they play in that AFC least, which, I mean, the Bills are finally kind of halfway decent, but they played the Jets and the Dolphins, you know, four times. I mean, that's four victories right off the bat. I mean, those aren't even... And it has been like that for so long. Like, I mean, when right. was the last time the AFC was really competitive with some really... You know, was it, you know, Mark Sanchez when they went to the AFC Championship, you know, <coughs> right. over 10 years ago? I saw a chart a couple months ago, and it was about dominance. And it, the chart's purpose was to prove that the Redskins were incredibly dominant for these 19 years. And so it had red lines through the years... That and this was horizontal. I know this is great, you know, podcasting visual <laughs> yeah. here. 
that Try were to imagine this, folks. In other words, they were the only long red line through this whole area, whereas look, in the 80s, you had the Redskins, the Giants, the 49ers. To win something, then you had to get past some pretty stout. Oh, you know, who, doubt, who yeah. was going to get 49ers, Redskins, and Giants? And the Bears, right? We're and the Bears while, for yeah. a little bit. You know, and that's just in that conference. Right. To, you, you had, the Steelers had the Cowboys and the Raiders always. The Vikings were pretty good at certain times. The Cowboys had the Bills, who went to four straight Super Bowls in the 90s. You have to have, to really be considered, you know, in a certain realm, I think, a foil that you have to play off of. Right. Who would care about Luke Skywalker if it weren't for Darth Vader? Right. You know, that kind of thing. So who's the foil for the Patriots? There isn't one. No one. And in a large part of it, I believe, is because of the this free agency and just the way players are changing teams so often, and they seem to be one who have either worked it to their own good or, like we said once before, maybe just last week, about Belichick getting these guys to just think about the team rather than what everybody else on the planet is thinking about, which is their own social media presence or yep. how much money they're making or whatever the, you know, how many commercials they're in, whatever the case may be. And y- y- but those are not the best players in the league. I don't think anybody would question uh, that. No, without a doubt. And look, but it's certainly one of the best teams. What I like about the approach of the Patriots is that they don't fall in love with their players. Like they right. are quick to cut oh, yeah. or trade or somebody. Josh Gordon, right? Right. He signs with them. He's been okay. He hasn't been great. He's had a, a, a like few injuries. He has shown flashes. He's on the IR, but there's already talk that he's going to be waived once he, he is healthy. And the team trades for Mohamed Sanu from Atlanta right away. I mean, it's just, you know, move on to the next player that's going to fill that spot. Right. And Brown, you know, Brown helped him through that rough spot of Antonio facing, Brown, facing that? The, the Dolphins. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. That, they made it that past really that game, and, yeah. and then cut him loose. Well, you know what, Brian? It's time to talk some preps. John, do you remember your rivals growing up, whether it was sports-related or just the kid down the street that always beat you up or whatever? Well, you know, Brian, I had no rival. I'm assuming at that face somebody was beating you up a lot. Yeah, no, I I had no rival. No, actually, when I played high school football for three years uh, at Cardinal Spelman High School, our big rivalry was Mount St. Michael High School. It was Mount, and it was Mount Week. It was, you know, kill Mount, you know, beat Mount. And I always remember this. The Friday before the, the game, after practice, we would burn a dummy in a Mount St. Michael uniform at, in the middle of the field or just off to the side of the field so it would ruin it and have a like bonfire with this guy burning and it was it was kind of it was kind of wild. So we all playing Saturday games? We were playing Saturday games, yes. Wow. In New York, you know, it's funny, I'm not sure if it's like that now, but when I was growing up, high school football and college football, because it's a pro town, right. wasn't that big. So we played right. JV Saturday morning games, and the yeah. varsity were like Saturday, you know, one o'clock games or noon. When I moved here to to you know Florida, it was like here and Texas. It's the big Friday night lights and and all that. So right. it's just interesting. Yeah. Well, this is rivalry week in Brevard. It's uh, the last week of the regular season, so you've got some of the big rivals. Cocoa Beach and Satellite already played. They played earlier this season, which was kind of strange. And, and it's actually called the like surfboard, the beach ball. They oh, play a for ball. a surfboard. The winner gets a, this big surfboard, which keeps the scores written on it through oh, the years. Cool. Okay. Satellite's had it for a while now, but the big one is the barbecue bowl. That's going to be Coco Rockledge. Oh, wow. Okay. That's and our two best teams also, yeah. so it's double meaning. And Rockledge has won these. these Last couple. Yeah, yeah. Coco won about 12 or 14 in a row, I believe. And now Rockledge has won the last two, so that was a curious one. O'Galley at Melbourne is, is uh, usually the least interesting 
just because Melbourne has dominated the series, but it's really one of the more interesting ones this year because O'Galley, they have those PowerPoint standings. O'Galley, even though they're going to be a district runner-up, they were last week in the Region 3-5A standings, the second seed right behind Rockledge. Oh, wow. So they're looking to keep their PowerPoints strong. And then Melbourne was eighth in their Region 3-6A, but they lost to Vieira. So on the one hand... They lost in their own winning percentage, but they picked up Vieira's winning percentage, which will help them. And then O'Galley's winning percentage, which is like 8-1, will help them. But a win will help them also. Then you've got a couple of other games. Uh, Palm Bay at Bayside, that's probably not going to have much impact on the playoffs because both teams have losing records. Right. But Bayside has never beaten Palm Bay and would appear to be the far better team this year. Oh, wow. So we'll see... Although that doesn't always, you know, in a rivalry game, John, what do they say? Throw the, rec- throw the records out the window. Exactly, exactly. And then uh, Titusville Astronaut is probably the most intense up there. I mean, they yeah. do not like each other. Right. And for, they do not for like two schools other. that are close together, I mean, they're right there in the same town. They do not like each other. So that's a big one. And uh, Titusville's not, you know, they're they're in a really bad situation, but hopefully they're being worked out of it by a new coaching staff, whereas Astronaut is uh, also one trying to get a playoff spot. And, and, and now, look, Brian, I know that pro sports, when you're at a rivalry you know, game or a match, it feels really different, playoff atmosphere. You've covered all of these teams. Is the atmosphere Friday night, will it be different for, you know? Oh, absolutely, because it's different right now. Right now at those schools, those kids are thinking about this game. Right. You know, and I was thinking about this yesterday. Steelers-Ravens is the big thing now for my franchise. But I was thinking, is that really, does it fit? I mean, it doesn't fit like, even it doesn't even fit Pittsburgh-Dallas to me. And it certainly doesn't fit Dallas-Washington. And I was thinking because you said something the other day about Dallas and Philadelphia playing each other. Even though you're from New York, does anything beat Dallas-Washington? I mean, you're closer to Philadelphia. No, I, Brian, I will tell you this, and this is honest. If the Redskins win two games a season and it's the games against Dallas, I yeah. feel I, I feel right. phenomenal. Right. Yes, that is the team that I I despise most in the world. Not personally, the the laundry, right. the the player, you know, right. the team. So that is right. That is the rivalry game. Now I know that a lot of, of like my friends were Yankee fans, so they, you know it was like the Yankees Red Sox was also a big thing, you know, growing up. But right. Yeah. yeah. Now the Cowboys. Oof. Yeah, rivalry just kind of makes, uh, well, just what you said. It makes the week and the season more special. But also, if you've had a bad year and you beat that rivalry, the feeling is uh, can make up for a lot of pains. Right. Absolutely. And speaking of pains, I think it might be time to say goodbye, Brian. To, to end my pain of sitting here looking at you. Yes, and so it's always painful to say goodbye, but we thank you for listening and tuning in. Please share us with your friends as we try to grow our listenership. John, you didn't ask me about my health. Oh, well, you know, I see that you actually have some color in your skin this week, Brian, so I thought you were feeling well, better. you know, I went to the doctor since, yes, okay, since I saw you last, and they didn't tell me what I have, but they did tell me that Andrew Lincoln will be playing me in the movie. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Please rate us. On iTunes or subscribe, follow and us. subscribe and follow us at three two one preps preps.com. Com. Thanks, guys.